Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, to tell you something, people, uh, last night, last night, um, Bernie Sanders was at the L.A. Sports Arena. Now, no one really goes to the sports arena. I personally have seen Springsteen there three times because Springsteen won't play Staples. And I was there when Springsteen opened Staples, and he hated it. But Bernie Sanders went there, and I guess 27,000 people showed up. I mean, that that's that's a big crowd, 27,000. That's more like Nickelback will get, okay? So what's funny is, though, today, Joanne has the Today Show on. And their first story is the weather. Understandable. The weather is awful back east. It's hot. It's stormy. Then they're going to uh, Ferguson, which makes sense because Ferguson has uprising again. And now they have a militia group down there, so it's a little crazy. But then they go into Trump. And Megyn Kelly talking about she's not apologizing to Trump, and then Hillary going off on the you know the whole debate last week, but not one word, not one word was mentioned about Bernie Sanders, not one word. Now this is a national news program, and so my feeling is, and you know I'm not a huge political guy, but I'm telling you there will never be like an underdog winning with the media we have now today because I'm sorry, I know if that was any other if if a politician had thirteen thousand people. They would have been talking about it. The reason I bring that up is because I know my guest is a Bernie Sanders supporter because we became friends on Facebook today and I saw his post. My guest is John Ailes. How you doing, John? Thanks for having me, Steve. This is all, I, yeah, while you're speaking, I'm getting riled, riled up. <laughs> <laughs> I am getting riled up. What the hell? It's just, you know what amazes me? I mean, well, first of all, you, people don't know about him. And, and I was talking to someone on Facebook and I posted something about this. And she said, well, all my friends are posting stuff like this on social media. I said, yeah, but what you don't understand is most of your friends are socially conscious and they're intelligent. The problem is a lot of people in, in this country depend on the Today Show for their news. And yeah. I'm sorry, I when I was growing up and I had Barbara Waters and all, I mean, it was great. That's all we knew. You but, had some people to trust too. But now it's like Matt Lauer's a blowhard. I don't trust that. I well, mean, I really don't even know what's happening in the morning, but I can't tell you what is happening just in general any article you read is shrouded in this layer of cynicism and and you know impossibility when they're talking about Bernie. Even if they do an article on him, it's it's a slam. I'm not a political guy either. I got to tell you that that my whole life I I was disillusioned by the system because, like many people, I feel like I don't have any power with my vote. But what you say is funny. When you pitch a guy like Bernie Sanders to your friends who are unaware of him. All you got to do is talk for five minutes about what he wants, and regardless of their political leanings, suddenly they listen and they hear ideas. I mean, th these are real ideas. This this isn't about the guy, although the guy's awesome. He has real ideas. Right, and and it's funny. Also, a thing is, it's not what he what we've learned to be a politician. Like you know, I watched the debate, and you know, they all just they they look, you know, they look. Oh, I mean, man, I, 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 I grew up in New Jersey. I don't want to go into Chris Christie. Cherry Hill. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a Rutgers grad. I didn't know you're Rutgers. Well, you grew up in California, though. I grew up in California, and I chased my dream to Rutgers to study acting, and I did. See that? Now we're gonna yeah. see you start me right into my uh, interview. I didn't Jersey know baby. No, because no, because I was sitting there because your your information for you it just said born in California and some of your yeah. things. So wait, so so you grew up out here? I did. I did. I grew up in the valley. And now I was born in Westwood, and at Old Cedars of Lebanon was my hospital. I was five years old. My family moved to Encino, and I lived my whole uh, young life there. Now, when did you decide you wanted to be an actor? Was it at a young age or? Really early. I was a, a my family's Greek. Okay. So, uh, and my father and mother were really active at the Greek Orthodox Church in Los Angeles. It's the uh, it's the oldest church uh, downtown called St. Sophia. I don't know if you've ever been to St. Sophia, no. which is a, but I it's a really go, beautiful place. I want to go to the Greek festival because I heard it's a blast. You should. There are several of them, and, and St. Sophia's is one of them. Uh, uh, but you should go to the one in Northridge at St. Nicholas. I went to elementary school there. The Greeks were really a tight uh well, it's, it's funny because I wore my Vito's pizza shirt from Cherry Hill today. Hey, I'm very Mediterranean. I, I should have I should have worn the Ponzios, and Ponzios is a diner in Cherry Hill, is owned by my classmates Fran Vifas and Fran Faltas's very Greek. parents. Yes, very Greek. And Ponzios is legendary, and it's still open. Like I would go back because my girl before my girlfriend moved out here, I was by coastal for two years, and nice. I haven't been to Ponzio for like 13 years. And I had to get a shirt, so I, I was like, I was like, cool. And the shirt was sort of ugly, so I don't consider that much. But it was a great create time. your own Poncio's shirt. So, so you, you you're a young kid, and you're a private school, and you're a Greek family, and now was in the Greek. Do the Greeks did they encourage you to go with that? Well, there was um, at Saint Sophia's. I was involved in the junior choir, 
the junior choir was uh, once a month they would go in and and help the senior choir sing uh very kind of traditional byzantine sounding greek songs and then we would go on these retreats and do plays and do uh selections of musicals and things like that for the church for after church we would have a show and um i just took to it man i always i got the bug really early and uh uh, in fact, there was a, do you know, I don't know if you remember this. There's a kid named Andy Lambros in my Greek community. Of course, you'll remember this. Most everyone out there over the age of 35 will know the original B-O-L-O-G-N-A kid who was fishing on the pier with the curly hair okay. in the 70s. Uh, oh, Oscar Meyer has a way of B-O-L-O-G-N-A. That was my buddy, Andy Lambros. And this kid made uh, a ton of commercials and stuff and made it very appealing to me and my parents. Turns out I didn't have the stomach to go out and audition and meet people. I just wasn't into it when I was a kid, so I just did plays and stuff. So you're out here, you're doing plays. Now, how do you? Pick, you know, you're in California. Yeah. How do you pick? I mean, I mean, Rutgers may have a good acting program. It I mean, does. I actually, <laughs> it's funny is, um, Calista Flockhart went there. She did. And uh, a girl who I knew named Molly Price, I believe, was in First Watch. She graduated the same year as Clifford. Why do Blancard. I feel like I know? Yeah, Molly. Uh, Molly yeah, and then it? Tim McGee. I don't know. I, no, uh, uh, oh, my God. Tim Decay. I'm sorry. Tim Decay from Suits. And okay. I don't know if you remember. Uh, he's done a couple HBO shows. Tim Decay is a fantastic actor. He's a Rutgers grad. So Rutgers is a good school. But, yeah. But you're a California kid. And now, you know, you're coming across. I mean, most of us want to. Like right now on Facebook, my picture, it's all blown up about people down the Jersey Shore. Yeah. It's, it's the summertime. Of course. But in the winter, they're going, screw you, Cooper, because I always go, hey, man, I just had a margarita. They're very unhappy the last few winters back east. <laughs> like, I, I had a margarita on a patio. What are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, go to hell, Cooper. Blah, blah. But no, so how did you pick Rutgers? Because, I mean, it's just what gravitated to New Jersey coming from California. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a long story, but I had done two years at Cal State Northridge uh, because my family was not very well off. turns out I went to this private school because busing was happening when I was in elementary school. And um, uh, busing in Los Angeles meant an extra like four hours on a bus a day. And my parents knew this school was kind of coming up. So my parents didn't have a lot of cash. They just did what they could. When it was time to go to college, I went to Cal State Northridge and it had a theater department. And my buddy and I uh uh, were very active in that department. We were just basically learning very little and doing plays all the time. And uh, we both had mono, I remember. We were sitting on a bed, like a hospital bed, a prop hospital bed in the theater department, and, and we were feeling kind of blue about the training there. We were having this philosophical discussion as 20-year-olds about how we really wanted more out of training and heard that acting was actually a thing. And uh, there was a kid named Mike Martacchio, uh, who went to Emerson College, and he was a, he was a, he was he had already been through college, so he was kind of doing a grad department, uh, little extra training at Cal State Northridge, I think. And he said, he was like, "Hey, you guys should check out Rutgers. Three of the most talented actors that we've ever had here left here and went there last year, and apparently the training there is incredible." Named Matt Boston, who is still one of the best actors I've ever seen act in person. And uh, I own Soroyan and this guy, James Cleveland, all of whom went off to Rutgers to do their grad work. We, My buddy Brett Pearsons and I, who had mono, got up that moment, not joking, walked across the campus and uh, met the exchange program uh, guy. He gave us some forms. We filled them out. And before we knew it, we had to explain to our parents that we were going to Rutgers to train to act. Well, Rutgers is, I mean, it, it is a great school. And they're, there's, they're, they have a good nightlife. There's a bar called The Melody. I don't know if you remember. They used oh, to yeah, lot, The Melody. We took over a place called Doll's Place, which was kind of the after-hours party house for Melody. The Melody, which is where people went to play music. Yeah, because yeah, it was because we used to, my buddy, when I, I went to Richard Stockton College in New Jersey. Oh, fantastic. I graduated in 86. And then one of my buddies, Benny, he went, he was, uh, went up for grad school because he was from Hong Kong, and he had wanted to stay in the country, so he got, went to Rutgers to get his, and he lived up there for a little bit, and we used to go up there, and we'd go to the Melody. So it's a there you go. fantastic town, actually. I loved it in New Brunswick. I would I would recommend to anyone to get out of town and, and go to college somewhere away from home. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. I went to Stockton, but it was an hour away, but I lived down there, which you have to live. You have yeah. to live where you're in college. Everyone at Rutgers was basically a drive away from their yeah. families, but, they, but a few of there. us. But no, yeah, so yeah. We, but everyone lived there. And, you, and of if, you, course. if you came in good friends with someone you can go back to their place for a weekend like their parents cook you a good meal and it would all work out of course so, so now you go all four now you go for the final two years at Rutgers 
It's three years. Uh, it's a three-year training program. So you go- in fact, it's a convoluted story. My, but well, we got there and we weren't actually in the program. We had to chase down the heads of the program. It took us about a month to convince people to let us in there. So uh, we finally did under, uh, you know, some pretty dire circumstances. We insisted to be let in. They let us in. <laughs> so yeah, we, it was three years of training. This guy Bill Esper, who is a fantastic acting teacher, who studied under Samper Meisner has a big studio in New York City, and he ran the department at Rutgers for graduates and undergraduates to kind of join training for these th- for these two years, uh, which was about Meisner training, which is, you know, he broke it up into two different years. And then the third year was a character year where you did a lot of styles and Elizabethan stuff, Victorian stuff, Baroque. So, kind of- so when you graduate... Yeah. Are you thinking you're going to stay in New York, Apollo? What is your plan? Because basically, right now you have both worlds because you have a family out here, so you have a place to stay. So yeah, you know that's the right. Area. But then also, I'm sure a lot of guys and girls from Rutgers, because it's only an hour from. Uh, yeah, we spend, uh, our, spend our weekends hanging out in Manhattan. So, what do you do for your acting career? What do you decide to do? Well, the big idea was to get an apartment in New York and really try to do whatever stage anyone would let me do and you know at that point you really don't know what kind of job you want you want to be hired you want to go out and try to get a job as an actor and you know you get called for a lot of crap and you're doing commercial auditions and you're doing industrial auditions and stuff like that but a couple of buddies and I who graduated together we found a rat hole in Chelsea on 25th and 10th and uh we were way up at the top. It really was a rat hole and also had water bugs and it was terrible. But we had the best year of our lives together in that place. Yeah. Well, it's New York. I mean, you're young. I think you're going to have fun. So like, <laughs> in, that, in that year, are you pursuing acting or are you just Yeah, very or? much, man. Very much. Basically anything, you know, our, our, we, we had our sniffers up. In fact, it's a really competitive thing. When you graduate from a conservatory, you know, you're trying really hard to get an agent. Rutgers, one of the great things Rutgers does is it sets up a couple of showcases for their actors. Uh, at the end of three years, when you graduate, you you know, they have a really good invited list of agents and managers who come and watch talent uh, do scenes and stuff. So I got a lot of, you know, you get a lot of leads from that kind of opportunity. You meet a lot of people who may not be interested in what you're doing, but over time you wear them down. And of course, yeah, all we were thinking about was that. Of course, you get a, we got a job as waiters. I was a caterer. I did cater waiting, and then I worked at the Empire Diner on 10th Avenue. I did the graveyard shift for a long time. Okay. Uh, right before I got a, my first job, which lasted me a while, was on MTV, and that was how I was able to leave uh, waiting tables. Now, what show was on MTV? Uh, Jay Moore, the fantastic comedian yeah. and actor, was doing a show called Lip Service. He did about 25 okay. episodes of this show called Lip Service. It was a really awful lip sync game show with really obscure and wild judges and he left the show i don't remember why he left the show and i auditioned for it with like 200 people i remember guys with puppets and guys with like weird makeup on and just weird costumes coming in and i was just me like some kid and i was a big mtv generation and a big mtv fan and i knew a lot about the content and i went in and i got this job as a game show host well, that's funny on lip service what's funny is because there's also but a few other of my past guests eric paladino was on oh, MTV. Yeah. And Alicia Coppola was on uh, Remote Control. So there's been a bunch of people who have come yeah, off Yeah, she was shows. before my time, and Eric Palladino was, yeah, wasn't he reality? Uh, he was, he uh, was real a, world. No, but he was the overnight, like the uh, Insomniac Theater. He was the VJ. Oh, yeah, but it's yeah, just, yeah. It's funny because a lot of people, and a lot of comedy writers I know, got their start on Remote Control and those other shows just because it was, they wanted young talent. They didn't, they knew they didn't have to pay a lot. Totally. To this was the time of Colin Quinn, great comic, John Stewart, you know, who's obviously a legend now. And, uh, uh, who else was there at that time? I mean, Sarah Silverman was floating around. Everybody was, was floating around during yeah, that I mean, time Nick at McKay, MTV. Uh, the, the late Ken Ober. Yeah, Ken was doing great. So, so you do Dennis that. Leary, my boss. Dennis Leary was. I was so jealous of that son of a son of I, a bitch. I opened, I opened, when I did stand up, I opened for Dennis in Philly. And, Fantastic. Uh, he was so good. He was just becoming big. It was just like when he did those, you know, Bo commercials. And uh, I remember we sat there, and he's a hockey fan. And I'm a hockey fan. And after the show, it was a Friday night. It was like a December night, and we're in the green room, just smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. And I, of course, drive over to the bridge to New Jersey, and. Uh, of course, I'm hungover the next day, but I blame him with cold. <laughs> I go to Dennis, like, oh, man, I go, this weather's coming. He goes, yeah, yeah, hey, Cooper, it wasn't the uh, 800 cigarettes and the 47 beers we drank last night. <laughs> and I, I love him ever since then. That's why I love your show. 
but uh, we'll get to your show because I've been watching it. It's a great show. Yeah. But so now after MTV, you're now you're you're a host. So now. Yeah, you- see, that's weird. I went and did this conservatory training to be an actor, and of course, we all come out thinking we're going to be super serious actors and get De Niro kind of parts. And I was a young, squeaky little guy, and it's nobody really explains to you uh, when you break into this business any thing that you can look forward to even though we had great coaches for auditioning and great like resume guys who helped us work on stuff directors who helped us work on parts all that stuff you don't know what's in store for you you're really not going out to be an actor a lot of the time so you have to kind of make what comes at you work uh that's one thing that i did i really loved being on the air with mtv it kind of let me be a personality it let me do some comedy with some really smart comedians it was difficult for me uh, but I had a blast doing it. I got to do a lot of, you know, VJ work, which I never thought I would do. I was basically a radio host. Uh, it was it was it was weird how like people start. And another guy, my friend Jordan Brady, who now is a uh, big commercial director, he used to do the uh, MTV uh, the uh, Spring Break. Yeah, I did a lot of that stuff. And he would go, and he's like, you know, he goes, I used to, I used to go, you had these bright shirts, and you had like this, we all had that hair. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and he goes, and it's funny because he said, yeah, and that's the thing. It was so cool. MTV was. And a lot of people don't understand. MTV was so so cool. It had it so was, much great stuff when going it came on. out. Like I remember from the beginning, the videos and just everything, and then the shows weren't the crap they put up now. It was just it was. You know that's true, man. And in fact, it was the it was the era where videos were were slowing down. There wasn't new content except for game shows, really, and the Real World, which was the first reality show that I ever saw outside of Albert Brooks' great uh, great movie. Uh, but but. Really, you have the Beach House, and you have MTV Spring Break, and you have VJ segments like Day and Night playing rock and roll music, and rap music was just coming in. Bill Bellamy was doing a half hour three times a week on Yo! MTV Raps, and that was kind of where rap started to take over, right. uh, which was still music, and the the channel still had like a lot of music going on, and then... Basically, the next two years was the dissolution of all that. You know, you you stopped seeing music content. Right. So now, now when your show was done on that, what do you do then? Because you had this host, but you're still an actor. Are you stuck in a, a where you're not really sure? Do you want to follow the host game, or do you want to follow the acting? Game? Yeah, they wanted they they uh, they they MTV was really nice to me. Well, of course they would be because they helped create like a personality that people on the channel knew. But I did want to be an actor, and I had agents who knew I wanted to be an actor, and 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 so I I started doing both. I you know I lived in New York, and I had a good agent representation there, and I had a, a great team out here. So. I went back and forth, and after we did our second season of uh, Lip Service, we did 160 of those shows, finally. Wow. I mean, it's a lot. We used to do, like you, we used to do three, four, five, five a day sometimes, and by the end of those four weeks, I would be practically dead. And then I went back, you know, I came out, visited my family, had a couple auditions, and I would, uh, I got a couple, I got a series with Dabney Coleman where he played my dad. That was Mad Men for the People. Mad Men of the People, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, that was, a, that was a great little turning point where I got... Uh, uh, some cool action as an actor and people didn't, you know, ha- being a personality really helped. I guess so much it, it, it hasn't, ch- it's come back around where being a personality is as important as anything because this social media kind of strata that you have to ride as an actor now, you can decide not to be a part of it, but it seems to me that that people who are taking it very seriously are using it to promote everything that they're doing and creating kind of a stir around what they're doing and it only helps buyers you know pay attention to you that's the same thing was true then like people knew me from mtv so being an actor kind of was a natural progression so what was it i mean what must have been great though you come back here and you, you have a series now i mean that like, was lucky like oh my god it was like the first audition i ever had so so it's your first like big acting audition yeah, really big acting audition. The people who cast Seinfeld, Lieberman Hirschfeld, they, you know, had me in for a role that was barely written and I had to write a song on a guitar singing Happy Birthday to my dad. And I did. And I, you know, it was an Aaron Spelling show. And I remember like meeting the casting people, then meeting the ca- casting people's bosses, then meeting the producers of the show, then meeting Aaron Spelling. And before I knew it, NBC was like giving me this job. By the way, it never happens like that. And you have to work and work and work and work. But I, it was like I didn't have – they didn't even audition other people once they started bringing me in. It was just me. So I got really lucky. And Dabney was an incredible guy well, to work with. But so the show gets canceled. It did right away, first season. Okay, so now no, you, you've, you've 
basically come to a point where you not fell in, but you got the MTV job. Okay? Yeah, and, yeah. And it wasn't a much. That of a one challenge. was hard. That one was hard. That was a lot of weeks of work, but yeah. But you got that. But you got I the did job get that. pretty easily. I mean, yeah, you got the job easily, and then you come in and you get the sitcom pretty easy. And now, yeah. when that gets canceled, are you a, an emotional, emotionally upset, or are you thinking? Well, damn, this business is easy. I'm just gonna walk into the next thing. So yes, I, I, that's that. That's a great way of looking at it. I did. I I really was that naive. I really thought that oh, you know, shows get made, shows get canceled. It's that easy. And and uh, the very next thing I knew, I you know, I got a movie. I think uh, you know what happened from that show was a. Uh, opportunities lead to good opportunities a lot of the time and you but you have to be looking for them and it's really true in every aspect of your life if like this radio show presents itself to you you know this gives you a lot of different branches to look at that might be appealing and saying no doesn't really help you if you haven't explored these things i got some really good opportunities i met some really cool people who wanted to be further in business with me you know even though my show was getting canceled they wanted to they wanted to kind of see where my journey would go so i got some really cool opportunities from it and i found myself in an eddie murphy movie like a couple of months after the show got canceled. because you were on spy hard uh yeah that was a leslie nielsen movie called spy hard that actually happened in the same i was already doing the nutty professor uh with eddie uh, uh uh and i went on a lunch break to audition for spy hard and you know when you're on in a movie currently with eddie murphy for the run of the movie it's a it's appealing for other producers to you know have you in so leslie nielsen's movie came along and i got to do that at the same time I, how, as soon as i wrapped how did nutty professor come up i mean that was i was just new to creative artists and there was uh, uh i know eddie was i think eddie was there and mike menchel was a really significant agent at creative artists and he was good buddies with ron howard and brian grazer and he had a new kid who was me and he just had he put a meeting together with me and brian brian grazer and brian said uh you know come come and read for it i read for it and um then they called me and said hey you want to go down to set and meet with tom shadiak and uh you know try to get this job and i was like yeah yeah you know he liked your audition so i went in and I, I remember it was at USC, and there was this big, uh, like, amphitheater lecture hall for a teacher that I went in, and there were cameras all around, and they were lighting the place. And there was this giant guy. We were at the top row at the back, and there was this giant guy down at the bottom kind of, like, pacing back and forth uh, in front of the cameras. They were, uh, you know, basically off. And Tom whispered to me, hey, sit down, sit down, and watch this for a second. And we were watching a guy uh, kind of speak for a couple of minutes, and he laughed a few times, and I was like, Holy, that laugh sounds familiar. And Tom goes, "Yeah, that's that's Eddie under all that makeup." As the first time I saw him as Professor Clump, which is like you know this 350-pound guy, and man, right, I, he brought me down. I shook Eddie's hand, and you just couldn't believe it was a real, it wasn't a real guy under there. Just looked just like the guy. And uh, Tom was offering me the part. I didn't even know it. He was just said, "Hey, Eddie, this guy's gonna play Jason in the movie." And I said. Uh, <laughs> and, I said, "I did not know that, Eddie. It's nice to meet you." <laughs> and, it, and it was a huge movie. That was, yeah. One of the facts is that, you know, I I grew up, you know, listening to Eddie's comedy and, you know, we had lost faith in Eddie after Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. sat there like, remember 48 Hours, which was so great. And just Beverly Hills Cop. Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop. Amazing. Amazing. And this came back and I'm I'm a Jerry Lewis fan. So, you know, The Nutty Professor is based on, you know, the old. There you you go. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that movie just blew up. I mean, uh, did people start recognizing you after that? Because, I mean, because the thing with that movie is. You, you probably there's kids watching it too. Yeah. So it's a different crowd. Like the people watching Diary of a Madman aren't gonna or the one with uh, Daphne Cullen aren't gonna sit there. The kids aren't watching that. No, they weren't. But they weren't. Kids, I don't know if anyone was watching that, exactly. but they should have. Daphne was amazing. The guy's incredible. Did you start getting recognized because this role? Because I mean, and what is that like? I mean, you're probably recognized when you're from TV too. That was, you know, that that is true. I was I was getting kind of cross generational fans there were young fans from from nutty professor and families and there were teens from mtv and and it was sporadic you know people aren't people aren't really jumping all over mtv personalities but i certainly got a lot of a lot of waves and nods and stuff now did you work with kevin seal when he was on do you remember him i don't remember he he was the mtv one like no one liked like like we 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 dealt with adam carey you know because he had the long i had adam as a good in fact adam Adam is a genius. I don't know we, what no, if we, you remember we, his business. We well no, we like we liked Adam Carey. Yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. Him. 
But there was this guy, Kevin Seal, who had like these squinty eyes, and everybody hated him. And we're like, why does that guy have a? And it was like us, us comics in Philly were like, why, why is that? Why is that guy on there? He's, he's, <laughs> he's just awful. He's like, it's just awful. You know, you never know why they why they cast certain people. Why do they cast me? I don't know. Uh, but Adam Curry, John Norris, those two guys, uh, and their news that was a. Uh... They were pretty serious guys for being MTV personalities. And so, man, Adam had this, was it a top 40 show? He did it in his basement remember, with a studio like okay. you got here uh, and syndicated. I mean, I remember he, he he did pretty pretty well. What is he doing radio still? He's a fantastic no speaker. I have no It's just so funny. Like, I know Alan Hunter has, and he's my, that's, uh-huh. awesome. he's on, a, he's on um, Sirius. And there's some different people. You know, Mark Goodman, I think, is still around. Martha Quinn, I, she's just... I don't know right, right. But it's just weird how a lot of those people moved on. So so you do Muddy Professor. That's right. And it's a hit. Yeah. And so then now what do you do? Do you Because you, now you've had a crossover of you've had TV. Right. You've had hosting. Right. And now you've had movies. So right. I know when I talk to actors, they always say, we just want to work what work comes up good. But yeah. But did you want to focus to be to go anywhere? or did you? I did. There? I did. And you know... Uh, this is another thing they don't tell you. I would, like I said, creative artists. If you're if you're with like a big shot agent, back then there were only it was only creative artists. ICM UTA. at that level, not UTA yet, not WME. It was William Morris, ICM, and CAA. Those were the big guys. This is in the 90s, uh, 95, 96, basically 94, and um, they they give you some really incredible opportunities because they represent some really incredible people. So you get to meet. Those directors. I went on a spree of basically meeting with Francis Ford Coppola, Baz Luhrmann, Lassa Hallstrom, and at the same time, you know, this was the time when you did a as an actor, you'd do a pilot, uh, and you do a, a movie, a little independent movie, and kind of like a good part in a regular movie or a small part in a regular movie, and that was your year, and it was a pretty good year. But you can't really do that anymore. The numbers have changed, and and uh, it's just not the same anymore. But in those years, you were basically creating relationships with these people, and um, that that's uh, that's the if you get those opportunities, you got to take make the most of them. I had some really great, uh, I was up for some really great stuff. It just doesn't always pan out. Like what were some of the great things you're up for? Uh, God, uh, the Lassa Hallstrom movie that I loved. Uh, uh, with Toby McGuire and I think it was Paul Rudd. Um, there was that film, uh, Baz Luhrmann. It was Romeo and Juliet, I remember. Coppola wanted to remake On the Road, and he was considering me for uh, um, a part in that one, which would have been basically killer. It was for Ginsburg back when we were young. Oh, that would have, that would have, yeah, that would have been fun. Uh, but like those kinds of meetings, you'd think that it would be in and out and you'd be done with these big giants, but each of those guys spent more than you know i think an hour with me uh and those were you know those are real times as an actor that you remember those as if you got the job because they're really you know incredible so you're acting you're acting away yeah and you're doing tv you're doing movies mm-hmm. now now and then the clumps two comes up yeah which must have been great because you know they're gonna have you back. i mean i'm pretty i mean did you, you know? never know i mean but, like i mean yeah. was that a call where i mean i know they're gonna make you audition maybe <laughs> that'd be crazy if you had to but that would have that would have been crazy audition for the part that you did <laughs> what uh no so now and, and by the way not out of the question but yeah go ahead now when you're sitting there as an actor and you hear there's buzz about the clumps two coming up uh naughty professor yeah and you know the big one the first one was a big hit yeah do you sit there and do you expect that you're going to get called back? Or, I mean, what's that whole process? Cause you, you worry. I mean, I don't know what other people are like, but I'm, uh, you know, I think anything's possible. Nothing has scared me in this world. Uh, 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 nothing has has conditioned me more to not be surprised than being an actor. Some really crazy stuff happens. All these, you know, movies that I, you know, would love to have been in, I thought I had, you know. So you kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt. But for The Nutty Professor 2... Uh, that kind of crept up on us because uh, Shady X Company was producing it and they were already uh, talking about the character, but we did not know until the call came and offered me uh, that part that uh, that I would be in it. But it, I luckily was available and I could do it right away and it was awesome. Now, at what point during your acting career did you start taking up photography? Because I know you said you're, I mean, was that something that you always wanted to do as a child? Because I've, I've, met, I've met a lot of actors and musicians and comics who have always thought about doing it and then when they start being on sets doing stuff like that 
it just gets their eye for it. I mean, is that? Yeah. Is, I mean, when did you start doing this photography? Well, it's cheating. The, uh, uh, you know, as a kid, I had a point and shoot. Uh, not a point and shoot. It was more like I borrowed my sister's brownie, I think. And then, and then later on, there was some kind of weird camera hanging around my house, and I remember taking a lot of pictures with it. Um, in college, I went and bought a camera when I hit Rutgers. In my third year of college, I bought this old Minolta X700 with a fixed lens uh, a prime of some kind, and uh, I spent all my money on film and developing uh, uh, costs, lab costs. I spent all my spare money on it, and um, half of the shit came back terrible. Uh, but I, I felt like I had an eye and a real understanding of composition, but I really didn't know what was happening with the camera. I didn't even know if the battery was uh, dead or not, so stuff would come back completely ruined. Uh, and there was no internet to check for information, so uh, you know I would basically try to locate good photographers and ask questions and stuff. So that's what I did. When I started working and I started carrying cameras uh, on set, it wasn't really the in the first few years of my career, I was really focused on on doing the work on on set. But then I realized how much time there is on set, and how much beautiful light there is on set. And it's all crafted by these great professionals who are working as a team to make it. So in some ways, you're cheating as a photographer to kind of like get yourself in there. But uh, in 2001, I did a miniseries with. Uh, a lot of great actors in Slovakia, of all places. John Abnett directed a miniseries for NBC called Uprising. And um, I brought that camera with me, and I brought my very first digital point-and-shoot, which was like a little photo school in your pocket because you could change aperture, you could change shutter speed, and you could see what light happened to that camera. First, One of the first digital cameras that was available to the public. And it was called the ELF. And uh, I think I shot like 10,000 pictures in Slovakia. So what was it like uh, shooting over in Slovakia? I mean, is that the first time you, you shot abroad? I mean, is that the first time you shot out of the country? Yeah, well, oh, uh, at Rutgers, we had a great program that took me away one summer to Scotland. We were in Edinburgh for the festival. And I did shoot, uh, I think, a dozen roles there, and that was pretty cool. Um, but I was very sparing with it. And then Slovakia, yeah, this was the first time I shot... Uh, I shot kind of seriously. I actually went, there are so many good photographers on this set. It was kind of strange how many photo weirdos there were on set. And we all compared gear and talked about stuff. And there were some really accomplished photographers there. So we, you know, Vienna was the next stop over across the Austrian border. And they sell like beautiful cameras in Vienna for some reason. They just have great camera stores, used camera stores. So we bought a couple of cameras there. Now I'm looking at your IMDb. And uh, now, what is fatherhood? Fatherhood is a, a, a documentary series that, uh, in fact, Hank Azaria is a good buddy of mine. He and I met uh, in Slovakia at uh, doing Uprising. Okay. He played Mordecai Anilevich, one of the great revolutionaries who lived in Warsaw during that time. And uh, he and I became friends there, and he knew I was a photographer, and some friend of his came up with an idea to do a documentary about the fact that he did not enjoy the idea of having kids in his life because he always hated kids. And he thought, hey, you know, you weirdos. He was talking at his poker game who all his buddies were becoming dads, and he only had a uh, he had a girlfriend at the time, and he was in his mid-40s and did not see kids in his future. And he was like, you know what? If I were to, if Katie came to me and said she was pregnant, I'd have to follow you weirdos around and figure out why the hell you would ever want to be a father and like what it even meant. I hated kids when I was a kid. I hated myself as a kid. Kids are annoying, you know, little people. And uh, he called me the next day and said, my buddy Maddie and I want to kind of like interview some of my friends about being a dad. So over the next five years, we covered the whole story of him becoming a dad you know he didn't think he would and uh it's a series now on aol.com if you go search fatherhood online you can watch all 10 episodes now did you think it would end up being a series or what did you think it was just gonna be a fun project i mean because we thought it would be fun first and then we thought you know anything could become a feature film these days and uh and we thought we had we had a you know that had a dark streak this uh because hank and his then girlfriend katie were so brutally honest on camera. In fact, they shot themselves during incredibly intimate times uh, the moment they find out they're pregnant, the moment they put their dog down the moment before they find out they're pregnant, the moment their child is born 10 weeks before term. 
Uh, so they really, and they shot all this stuff about their personal lives uh, while we weren't around. And all of this was part of the documentary for a long time. Um, in the end, it ended up being kind of more, uh, uh, more of a, a of an experience show with his kid uh, than about them. But you'll learn a lot about what it's like. You know, all the elements of being a dad are talked about in this, you know, the first five years of your kid's life in this series. It's really cool. So it's another different hat you have. And then, then you have an, That's true. And then another hat when you were a voice on Beavis and Butthead. Ah, those are... <laughs> now, how's that come up? Cause, that's I, really lucky. And that's just because, I mean, Beavis and Butthead was... I mean, that movie, when that movie came out, when you, you right, you I remember it very well. Was huge. Well, the series was breaking while I was on MTV. So again, here's this phenomenon that uh, is created by MTV, and Mike Judge is a genius. I had never met him. Oh, actually, that's not true. I met Mike Judge for Joe's apartment. Well, did he do that? I think so. But you know what's yeah. funny about Beavis and Butthead? Also, the original episodes had the music. Encompassing that was, it was exactly they, true. They were VJs. They were basically VJs with little sketches. It was like MST three thousand for right. uh, for video uh, watchers. That's right, and they had great opinions on it because Mike was still a, a whack job as he is now. Uh, yeah, I. You know what's funny? I had just gone to a party in LA, and and a friend of mine, uh, a guy who I just met at this party, saw me on an episode of Mad Men that I did. You know, it's funny these little things that come up. Uh, over time, you'll find have more meaning for some than others. But I did this episode of Mad Men with one scene, one six-minute scene that brings back Midge from the first season. I watched it, yeah. Yeah, I'm taking uh, advantage of her in a bad way. I'm her husband, and we're both junkies. And uh, anyway, a lot of people watch that show. A lot of people who do a lot in Hollywood. And this guy watched the show, uh, this you know incredibly lucky situation. John Altshuler is... Uh, his writing partner, he, uh, Dave Krinsky, and he write for Mike Judge, basically. They produce and write uh, almost everything that he does now uh, with him. And uh, he called and said, hey, you want to come in and do some Beavis and Buttheads? Like, we'll do one and see if it works out. And I went in and did one, and it turns out I was able to do, you know, a handful. Like, I played like a dozen characters in a few, you know, it's really fun. I mean, that is... That's the kind of stuff that's really a blast. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's a great show. Now with uh with uh, the Mad Men, were you a fan when you get when you auditioned or did you watch it? Or because I know it's a lot of people they like this. I mean, I've had a lot of people who've been on Mad Men and they say it's a very secretive set. First of all, very secretive. yeah, it's super. Like you sign the and if you say anything, like you know, you're paying for the whole production. Yeah, you know? and I don't know if I'm even speaking out of turn, but the, the my first day there was at the at the reading he. Uh, he Matt Weiner himself like stands up and gives a speech about that very thing. You know, he basically says that that's what the, part of the magic of the show is that uh, it stays in the room. So I took it seriously. I took it really seriously because I didn't have a, you know, any skin in the game to let anyone know. No one ever really does. But I had not, you know, I had watched a handful of, sh of episodes for me and television. I am becoming more like a lot of people and I will watch in little spurts in groups uh but i don't follow series when they're broadcast live a lot and it hurts you if you really you know want to fall in love like right now i'm watching breaking bad from the beginning i had watched a dozen episodes over the years but never in line yeah see i i had i had watched breaking bad i watched like the first season on the netflix or i would think or, or like when i was on amc on demand right and then i missed like the second season i, I and i wasn't like you know and then all of a sudden Everyone's saying how great this show is, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I gotta start watching it. And then as I was getting caught up to the last season, I was like, okay, you know, I really need to get caught up in the last season because all these idiots on Facebook always put what happened. Like I watched, I know, I watched Walking Dead the first two seasons, I think. I lost interest, rivers, got back into it. I said, well, I can't get back into it because I know everyone who's died because <laughs> people would put there. And luckily, I have the East Coast feed. On my cable, I mean, because you know, you can, on some of the pay stations like HBO, and right? Like that, so I can watch these shows earlier, or we record it, we watch it during dinner. Else now, because all my friends are back, you know, a lot of friends are back. They say, "Screw you!" They just sit there and they go, "Hey!" And I knew I had to catch up on Breaking Bad before that damn last episode. And I remember because my girlfriend didn't watch it. I was back east at her place, and she was in her bedroom watching something, and I was in the other room watching Breaking Bad because I said. I have to watch it now because else everyone's going to give it away. I know. You know, it's funny you mentioned that very phenomenon might be part of the reason I stopped watching sports so much. 
is because, again, like I used to watch golf at night. My wife and I would do stuff during the day with our kid at, on the weekends, and I wouldn't be available to watch golf, and I'm a golf fanatic. And I, in fact, I, I'm the creative director of a golf instruction website for one of my best friends who's an incredible golf teacher, Jim Benettis. Uh, we have a site online that I basically spent years of my life creating with him. Uh, my point is, spoilers online just blow it for you. And and I stopped caring as much because uh, like I didn't have this like anticipatory feeling during the day like I used to because I knew. So it really, and the same thing is true of basketball. Like in my friend, you know, the the social media just blows it out of the well, water. That's also with the Olympics. And the Olympics at the Olympics was when they were, you know, right. You would, if you had to sit there, you couldn't go on your homepage. I say Yahoo's my home. I can't go on there because it's going to say who <laughs> the won. The news is right there. I remember when Phelps won that race by just a little bit. I was at Ralph's in Burbank and I was getting a bottle of wine because I was going to see a friend's house. And the guy, this guy's trying to hit on the girl behind the cashier. He's like, oh, yeah, man. Did you hear about uh, oh, Phelps? Oh, man. I, I, go, I go, really? I said, I said, you know, it's, and, and you know, it's going to air at eight because it's Michael Phelps and it's prime time. And then he's like, he won by, and I'm like, man, you're, are you are you just a dick? <laughs> you're just a dick. <laughs> are you just a, so so you're doing all these things now. You're acting away now, and you did the Beavis and Butthead. Now the new show, which, yeah, um, which I had seen previously a while ago. And as I said, I'm a big Dennis Leary fan, and one of the reasons why is because when I opened for him, first of all, he was he was so nice. I mean, he walked in and he was getting big, and he's like, me and the the guy, the manager of the club, and it was a comedy works in Philadelphia, which was there was two clubs in Philly, and luckily I was blessed to be able to play both as a weekend regular that's we live in oh cherry hill yeah i lived in cherry there hill you the go time. and so he came in and he's like real humble like oh this is i'm done you know and we're like yeah we know who you are and he goes up on stage and it's, it's during desert storm one of those things and he starts talking about how my mom has alzheimer's which is weird because my mom does has alzheimer's now oh but, no. no but no but it's just it's, so he does a spit then he goes oh i'm sorry i hope you're not offended and i go no oh, it's comedy but uh i've always been a fan i've always liked this in Front, you know, comedy. Yeah. And when I saw previews for the show, did did have you did you know did you know Dennis or did he know of your work or how this whole thing happened? No, I mean, I mean, I knew of Dennis. I mean, which uh, by the way, people, the show is called Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, and it's it's all put together with the ampersand. That's right, all ampersand, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll Thursday nights FX. Yeah, and it's at ten. Ten o'clock. I I record. Ten o'clock Thursday. Right, exactly what uh, most people do. Yeah, because no, (laughs) because bottom line, it's like. You know, sometimes, you know, it depends what we're doing. My girlfriend doesn't watch just because she's like, I can't watch another show. And so Thursday she gets her big brother. She watches that show, which I guess. Oh, boy. She loves it. And she's just okay. her brother. And I'm like. Listen, I still watch Survivor. I'm not going to. I don't. I, I, I don't watch it. Begrudge her. But she and I sit there. I give her crap. And she gets in. Her and her brother get into it. But I said. Big she was, brother. Yeah, she's been That's intense. For a while. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, they're all idiots. But I started watching this show. And uh, I knew I'd like it because. I mean, just when you when the, after the first episode, just the opening credits. If you like music, which I love music, and you know you're a fan of Leary, you're just hooked. I mean, you sit there and you know when you see the opening credits, you go, "When the how the band you know, breaks yeah, up." What stage, happens now? You you go, "Okay, this this show is going to kick ass." And that's the thing; it's one of those shows that does kick ass. Like there's not there's some shows you go, oh, yeah, but it's a half hour sitcom that kicks ass, and that's what's cool about it. So how did you end up getting involved in the project? And also, John Corbett's great, and it's just a great cast. It's really a great cast. I mean, the truth is, uh, Dennis is one of one of his great talents is uh, casting. He worked really super hard. His two partners, uh, Jim Serpico and Tom Saletti, they run Apostle Films with him. He did Rescue with these two guys. Uh, Rescue Me with great these show. two guys. Great show. He was also. He, I don't know if he produced it. He did the show called The Job a few years. ago. They so produced it. That, that was an excellent. That show was that, them that too. No one really watched, but that's on Netflix. That's a good yeah. Show. And Bobby was on The Job. Bobby Kelly, our drummer, was on The Job. Uh, uh, and uh, they did the they did Rescue Me. They did Sirens, which just got an early end. Uh, they have Marin, and uh, they have a new show called Benders. They're a prolific uh, team. Anyway, they were scouring the world for this character. I auditioned for it. I put myself on tape for it uh, last year in my studio here. I didn't really explain. I, I also am the creative director of the Stan Winston School. I don't know so, if you know about that. We can talk about that yeah. in a second. <laughs> but yeah, I put myself on 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 tape for Dennis and sent the tape off. And before I know it, I was getting a call and asked. Uh, they asked me to come over. So and do you it. are an actual you an actual musician because you said earlier you played. I mean, I said, do you play guitar? Do you? I played guitar as a kid. Uh, I took the Mel Bay five book lessons with this old dude named david ferguson in the 70s i think i took six years of 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 
guitar from 8 to 14. And when it started to become theory, it blew my mind apart because it's so mathematical. And I hated it. So I basically just abandoned guitar. And I got cast as a bass player in this, and I had to learn pretty fast how to uh, how to play the bass because I did not know. Luckily, Dennis plays some pretty cool three and four chord rock and roll songs. And as a bass player, you really just have to you just have to work out these these cool little three. So you guys are all playing songs. the songs. We're playing the songs on camera. We're okay. playing to track with his friends from high school. Actually, they all went to Emerson College together. Charlie and Adam Roth are his two best friends from these days. And Chris Phillips is the music director for the show. And their good buddy, Alec Morton, is the bassist. Charlie plays drums. Adam plays shredding lead guitar. They taught Dennis how to play guitar and write songs when they were at Emerson together. And those guys went to be in the Del Fuegos and in Ozzy Osbourne's band and all sorts of other bands over the years. And Dennis has always been good buddies with them. They wrote the songs together. They recorded and produced them together. I mean, Dennis is a serious madman of talent. And so they they spent two months in the studio, you know, recording all these songs together. Now, what's it like? Because it's everyone, you know, you know, that's being a rocker. I mean, what's it like yeah. to actually be on stage? And I know it's, it's and it's, you know, if you're not playing, it's fine, you know, but What's it like? Just the feeling? Does it? Does it? I mean, it's, it's like, fulfilling it's like, a lifelong dream that no, only I mean, everyone can understand. I mean, you know, it must be. It must it be is. so cool because you're sitting there, and because the music's so aggressive, and it's just. It it's, is well, and especially with the heathen songs, uh, the, the 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 assassins kind of flow in and out. Gigi's band, Liz Gillies, the the incredibly talented Liz now, Gillies. Now is that her singing? That is her singing. Now this girl, look, Dennis had to really find. Uh, uh, you know, catch lightning in a bottle here. This girl started on Broadway with uh, on a, in a show I think called Thirteen, a musical. She and Ariana, Ariana Grande are best friends. They were in this show together on Broadway, and then they got. I think that's the true story. I do know the next part of it is true, which that they were both in a show called Victorious on Nickelodeon, and uh, and Ariana and Liz were kind of the second and third lead girls in this show. And I used to watch this show with my daughter because my daughter is exactly the right age for it, however inappropriate the show is. Uh, and I would watch this and think to myself, my God, these two girls who are kind of in the background of this show who are always around are super talented. Like they can sing, they're funny, they're natural. It's really crazy. And uh, Dennis Founder... This show was canceled after four seasons, thank God, because Dennis found her. She can sing like freaking crazy, and uh, she can sing these songs like crazy, and she can improvise, and that's super helpful too. So Dennis really found an incredible piece of talent in Liz so, Gillies. So you shot 10, ep 10 episodes? We shot 10 episodes. Now has it been picked up yet, or do you know what's going on? We don't know what's going on. We know the network is very happy with the feedback, and the fans seem to love it, and I think the numbers are good, super strong, growing every week. And, um, you know, they talk all sorts of stuff that I really don't understand or I didn't understand until now. But, you know, there's a there's a live number and then there's a live plus three number. And like you, live plus seven and live plus nine means how much time afterwards, how many days afterwards do people pay attention to this on their DVRs? And uh, those numbers keep coming in and out. And I have no idea what's going on. All I know is that uh, everyone seems to think the numbers are great. So it's a great show. And hopefully because it's just and it's good. It's edgy. And it's but it's also it's it's not. It's not edgy just to be edgy, you know, like it's one of those things. It doesn't it's got an edge to it, but it has to because it's rock. But it's not like, hey, let's just put a stupid dick. I mean, it's like totally like, like was it last week or two weeks ago when you were talking about the musicians who died about when he had. The, yeah. He had and the, how he could die. Yeah. And yeah. I was just funny. And that's just that not sounds straight from like a stand up act, but <clears throat> it's funny and it works. Well, it's so lucky to have him writing this stuff because he's an encyclopedia of music himself. I mean, the, and exactly in the right ballpark to kind of grab rock and roll by the balls and and pick apart all of these people who we grew up idolizing. It's harder to idolize rock and roll stars now because they're so accessible. But back then, and a lot of people who are younger than 35 won't even know, back then, you, you know, you only had the record album. If you saw them on an interview where you were blown away, you couldn't believe you were watching whoever it was. Oh, on yeah. an interview. I remember sitting there outside the Doobie Brothers, Doobie Brothers concert in Philadelphia, and I had a ticket stub, and I, knew, I saw where the bus was going, and I sat there, and uh, I had uh, <laughs> Simmons, the guitarist, and I still, I'm the only person who remember this name. Cornelius Bumpus was a saxophone <laughs> player. And I still remember, we couldn't get Michael McDonald, but we got Simmons, not. the guy with the long hair. Yeah, he was a great singer, and too. Then, and then Cornelius Bumpus, and I was like, that was so big, because we're like younger, me and my buddy, like, hey, man, 
we don't even know who Cornelius is, but he plays in the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> like, How cool was that? Was so just getting a touch from a rock star no, was, was a big great. deal. So now, now, what was the the Winston thing you were talking about? Uh, the Stan Winston now, school. Stan, Stan Winston is that the basis? Uh, no, no, no. That's uh, that's George Winston. George Winston. Okay, okay, this is a totally separate idea, but it, it falls in line with my documentary filmmaking. A good friend of mine is Stan Winston's son. Uh, Matt Winston is a fantastic character actor. Stan Winston was a character creator who did uh, super makeup effects franchises. In He did Jurassic Park, Iron Man, Predator, Alien Queen. He built uh, Edward Scissorhands. He built Jurassic Park... Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, all those dinosaurs. Uh, they did all these huge creatures. Uh, Predator, what what else was there? Pumpkinhead was a director. He directed that film. All these creatures that you kind of grew up knowing Stan Winston was the makeup effects artist for. And when he passed away of cancer seven years ago, his family, in order to memorialize him, uh, wanted to create a school. So they asked me to do 10. They asked me to come and help shoot in a documentary way, 10 tutorials in creature effects and makeup effects for our website. And now it's five years later and we've done, you know, 400 hours of online creature creation, design, illustration, makeup effects, anything you want to learn, sculpting, mold making, painting. Now, are, are you a big special effects guy? I mean, not special effects, I'm sorry, documentary guy? I am I, I am now. With, with Hank, with the Fatherhood Project, with Hank and uh, my my producing partners there, I really, you know, I, I invested a lot of time and and uh, uh, learning how to shoot and learning how to follow people and and follow a story and uh, it all kind of coincided with my friend's family needing a young DP to come and take over and start a school with them. So uh, lucky to have it. Lucky to have it. Now, what's Black Mass? Black Mass is a is a, a, a project that we produced uh, with Stan Winston School. It's the first. It's a wild project, but it's the first virtual reality uh, horror film that was ever made. It was made uh, in conjunction with uh, our partners at New Deal Studios and with Jaunt VR, which is a, a a small company that created software that stitches together a 360 degree field of view. So you're going to see a lot more virtual reality narrative stuff happening. Uh, this is a pretty scary uh, horror movie uh, short that's directed by a guy who just directed The Last Paranormal Activity, Greg Plotkin, who's a pretty great uh, film editor. But uh, Stan Winston School got very involved in virtual reality the last few few years and did a handful of projects with several different companies. And now New Deal Studios, our friends and partners where our studio is, uh, are doing a ton of virtual reality narrative stuff. It's it's really an interesting process. You'll see they you do a lot of you have to do it live like a play because they the camera is in the center. The camera is okay. you. So you're lining up shots as the point of view. You have to be very clever. So now, was it last season you were on Ray Donovan? Because that's one of my favorite. I did do, I did do an episode I, I of Ray Donovan. That, I watched that show. That's one of yeah. the shows we watch on Sundays. That's a fun part, too. People watch that a lot. Now, what was your part? What was and this was the this was actually the the month where I was going off to do uh, the pilot for Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. I got the part for Ray Donovan to play kind of this tough that was a, a porn producer. Okay. All right. And I was going to be beating up this uh, studio head. Okay. Uh, and his name is Stu fucking Feldman. Now he says now, in the end, is that is he the one who's on Sex and Drugs? And yeah, Rock he World? is. Okay. It turns out that's what's happening. I'm beating up this guy, this actor Josh Pice, who's pretty much blowing me away while we're doing these scenes. I couldn't believe his bravery. He is butt naked and letting me punch him and roll him around. Uh, after he was banging my wife, so he had it coming. I remember. I remember the episode. Now. Yeah, was, for yeah. sure. Uh, and just in a break on the, I think the second day of shooting, we're talking to, you know, what are you doing next? Oh, I'm going back to New York. That's where I live. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to New York too. I'm going to do this pilot. Me too. Really? Turns out he had done several episodes of Rescue Me. Dennis loves the guy and he wrote him the part as our manager on the show. And we were off to go do that job together too. So I was really lucky. Now, was it fun going back to New York? I mean, cause you live out here. Oh my God. But now, now yeah. and you're going back for work Yeah. and you know. You're going to shoot the pilot. Now, there's a, there's a whole series shoot in New York? The whole series shoots in New York. We have a stage in Brooklyn, which is our home, which is the studio and, and Gigi's apartment. And then all of our exteriors are kind of in Soho and, and off into University uh, Union Square kind of area. So what's it like going back there? Because, you know, you used to, I mean, 
Do you go? Do you go back there a lot because you went to Rutgers? Or? We used to. My wife and I used to basically vacation only there. Like okay. we would for the first six or seven years before we had our kid, we would go vacation there uh, because we just have so many friends there. It made us feel kind of vibrant and alive to go hang out with them again. But uh, I had we had plans to move back there someday. And hopefully this will lead to that because uh, this, we love New York City and uh, even the weather, man. I mean, I, I, well, uh, if you're working in New York City and you're hit with weather, that's just one of the you know occupational hazards which I'm willing to deal with. But um, yeah, the weather is abysmal for sure. Now, how does it make you feel to get back more of a comedy role? Because you've done a lot of drama in the last few years. Yeah. For this, I mean, did did you? Because you started out, I mean, doing comedy and even the hosting was somewhat comedy. And yeah. Now you're going full cycle somewhat. Do you enjoy doing the comedy again? Because this is a good character because it's it's a supporting character that it's part of the band and everyone has, besides Dennis, everyone has pretty much, they all have good lines written for him. Yeah. So, so I mean, right. you know, I mean now, do you enjoy doing the comedy again or do you miss the drama or what do you, what do you tend to like better? Well, I'm really lucky. This is a, it's a very realistic show. You know, I mean, it is, it's a comedy with dramatic elements because we're actually real characters with super real history you know there's a lot of resentment between these seven people uh well really five of us have a, a lot of history and then uh, there's there's just a lot of kind of irksome behavior that leads to both so the truth is i love doing comedy it's basically it's the hardest thing to do as an actor and uh it, it's a clinic with these guys i mean dennis leary bobby kelly john corbett josh pice elaine hendricks and uh, Liz, Liz Gillies being added to it, they're all super talented actors, just like as actors. So the comedy comes super naturally to everybody. It's a blast. Now, if you moved back to New York, where would you live? Would you live in Manhattan? Would you live in Brooklyn? Or where would you live? I'm a Manhattan guy because that's where I used to live. And that's I, I like to get on foot in Manhattan and walk. I don't like having to be beholden to trains unless I need to get outside. I, so, I, I mean, I really do like to, if I have a meeting that's 40 blocks away, I'll give myself the time and I'll walk it so that I can work on whatever it is I'm working on that day. Isn't it amazing how, like, there everybody walks? It's like, I remember we went to see it. We took the uh, the Bolt bus out of uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. To New York. Yep. And it drops off the TikTok diner. Beautiful. Well, my brother and my niece live on 55th and 6th, which it's a pretty far walk. And this was a cold day. And we're like, screw it. And so we walked and then we, me and my girlfriend walked and we just stopped to get something to eat. And then we just went by there and then her brothers and just, everyone just walks. And it's like you sit there and you go, wait a second, man. We just walked, you know, three miles, right? Yeah, before I mean, it's like, you it's know like it. Like you... If you have your Fitbit, you're probably, I, I know guys back east. And I'm like, I can't be in a Fitbit competition with you guys because, you know, you're adding it's 6 thousand just it's yeah it's, it's true it's totally true <laughs> so we we're running out of time uh what else is coming up in your career uh what else is coming up right now i'm i got a bunch of you know this is this is the life of an actor we're we're on a break we're trying to find out if the show's getting picked up or not uh, you know all of us I, I can tell you that as i'm sitting here my whole cast has been involved in like an insane text thread okay they just because they are all they all love each other so we, we would all love to be working together again this is the entire cast these are seven people on a on a on one thread that's, that's basically good, like 60 70 texts long so we would all love to get back to work uh i'm up for a couple of great things out here mostly television stuff and uh you know if we get back we probably get back late fall early winter next year and that would be a blast and right now i'm working with the stan winston guys and uh we have a lot of production going on we're doing a we're doing a documentary with them right now so i have a little team to run and it keeps me super busy well, i want to thank you for coming on and now, do you tweet i do i tweet i am john ailes at uh twitter and i'm on instagram as jackass dog Okay, so follow him. I am John Ailes. I am John Ailes on Twitter. Dog. Jackass Dog. And follow him. And seriously, people, go watch Sex, Drugs, and Rock. And if Please. you missed the first two episodes, you can watch it on FX.com or you can watch it on demand. Just watch it because it is. And if you like music, and if you're, especially if you're over 40 you're gonna, and you don't like the season, the series, you got a problem. So follow him at John Ailes. Follow me. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net, where there's over 400 and I think I have 407 episodes up there now. Go check that out or send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. I always respond. Tell me who you'd like to hear and who I'll try to get them. I can't get everybody, but I was watching John's show and I said, that guy looks familiar. And I hit him up and next thing you know, he's in studio. Also, if you have Stitcher or iTunes, go listen there. Just type in one more Cooper Talk. If you have an Android device, go to the Google Play Store. There is a Cooper Talk app. It's free. So do that. And don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. You know, when I got out of the hospital, I had to change my uh, 
diet. So it's 120 easy recipes or recipes for one. No pictures intimidate you. No list of ingredients. It's 120 great recipes. They're low sodium. You'll feel good for eating them. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it from me at stopsalt.com because I make more money and I'll sign it for you. And I won't put my address because I don't know. You might want to come show up at my house. <laughs> so follow I am John Ailes. What is it? What dog? Jackass dog. Jackass dog. Follow me on uh, Instagram, Cooper Talk One, and yeah. uh, at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you next week.